0: Welcome to Just a Phase, a podcast about modern parenting. This is episode 16, Biking with Kids.
1: It's bike month. Did you know that there is a bike month? Of course. <laughs> to celebrate, we hung out with a dad who has made biking his family's primary mode of transportation.
0: Also, we're going to talk about family photos, Whitney's worst day of parenting, mm-hmm. school board elections, and the hills.
1: Hello, I am Whitney Crispell, and mom to Vivian, who's two, and Cecilia, who is four months old.
0: And I'm Drew Ludwig, father to three daughters, ages five, seven, and ten. And uh, we'll start, as we always do, with our announcement that sometimes we swear on this podcast. So if you're listening with kids and you don't want to want them to hear swears, this is your warning.
1: And second, just a quick little shout out to our reviewers on iTunes. Thank you to everybody who has left a review, um, especially username Guile Flagfors. We
0: argued about the right (laughs) way to say your name.
1: Who said that he was uh, needing something on the go to help him prep for impending fatherhood. And this is it. So we love you, Guile or Ghoulie Flagfors. Um, I don't know if you've had your baby yet, but good luck with that.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for terrifying us—that we're the thing that is preparing you. <laughs> yeah, Read a book point. too, or something. Right. Um, don't forget that you can leave your own review, and that those reviews help other listeners find us. Yes. So, Whitney, tell us what is going on in your life.
1: Well, I've had a little bit of a a roller coaster week or so of parenting over here. Um, I had probably my worst day like personally of parenting I know it sounds pretty dramatic nothing bad happened like one like you know my kid didn't get hurt or anything I just for me I was so impatient and I really I don't know I haven't I haven't had a day like that I mean I felt like (laughs) there were a couple of times where I was like wow I'm being the child right now in short Viv like her nap got messed up she didn't nap I was super tired and so I was, like, mad at her for not napping and was, like, kind of a brat about it. Um.
0: Okay, but you've opened the door. So, give us an – like, tell us how you were a brat. (laughs) Because, I mean, listeners to the podcast know that you're, like, baseline a much better parent than I am. Oh, true. Thanks. Does your impatience mean that, like –
1: Well, like, I'm reading to her, you know, trying to get her to go down for a nap, and (laughs) she just was not having it. And at one point, I just lost my patience, and I – you could say through threw, maybe tossed the board book that we were reading towards uh-huh. the end of her bed and stood up and went, Ugh! and had walked out of the room <laughs> to just, like, clear my head. And okay. I came back in, and she was just sitting on the bed looking at me like, what is your deal, lady? Yeah. I just want to play. Hello. And then I felt... And then I felt terrible guilt. So like oh. all day the like guilt and then the next morning I was like looking for signs that she still liked me. You know, I'm like, Hi, do you wanna play with mommy? You wanna give mommy a hug? No. And I was like, Oh no, I've ruined our relationship forever. Which I'm is glad not you're true. laughing at it. Yeah. Spoiler alert, I didn't. She still loves me. But oof, like that, that guilt is bad. But so yeah, so and then like the next day I had food poisoning. Maybe that was karma. <laughs> I'm I not going to call poisoning. that karma, <laughs> but then
0: that's disproportionate yeah. karma anyway. Going right, uh, <laughs> and then getting food true. poisoning. Yeah, yeah that's but bad.
1: but then you know things have been getting up. We had our first ever family photo session last night.
0: I've seen the pictures um, online. Well, no, no I saw pictures haven't. of you online. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I had yeah, that was something else. But. But it was our first, like, official with a photographer, not me setting up the self-timer mm-hmm. <laughs> on my camera. And it was a little stressful just because, you know, trying to get a toddler to pose for pictures. But it was also really fun because we just, like, played in a park in a beautiful setting. And honestly, we probably never would have done that on a weeknight. But it was
0: gorgeous. We've only done family photos once. And that's what we did. We went to a park. Yeah. And, like, we tried to do some, like, standing in a row pictures in the park and... That just failed with our kids. Yeah. So like, the best we could like we were like actively playing. Like the best picture of, of best pictures of my daughters are swinging on a swing set and That's cute. going around a merry-go-round. And that was just the only way to get like right. My kids are posers and they're horrible posers. <laughs> they're uh, like, Meh! yeah. I mean that they actually pose, not that they're pretending to be something. Yeah. that they're not. But <laughs> yeah. like they can't. Not like, like... the '90s
1: version. Exactly. Poser.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. And this week for uh, our buf- Buffalo audience, we're recording out of Buffalo, is the school board election yeah. So, aftermath.
1: Yeah. So that was like a little high, high point. We won't get into the details there, but basically on like a broader scale of, of parenting, broader picture, that's mm-hmm. when I felt like the week started to take a turn up because the, the faction that I wanted to win, mm-hmm. <laughs> win won and, yeah. and it was great. It's very like affirming and, and hopeful for me personally. It, and you too, I think. Probably. I felt
0: good. Well, so I'm I'm holding out judgment. Like, yeah, true. I, I think right. I, I think that we. It's so sad that on a school board we might be choosing lesser of two evils, but the bad guys didn't win, and <laughs> and we'll see if the good guys are good guys.
1: Good. Yeah. True. <laughs> true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway. So how, yeah. How are you? Uh, swim lesson started again this week. Uh, and parenting milestone. Uh, I was able to like the swim lessons are at the YMCA, yeah, and I was able to do my workout while they were swimming. Oh, yeah, when? felt wonderful. That's
1: awesome. Felt,
0: and without my wife's help, like she had something else yeah. happening. It used to take both of us full attention the whole time.
1: How come? Like they didn't want to do it? Unless no, you were because there? all
0: the like I've got three kids, three different ages, so we're able to get back to back swim lessons. But there's always. Two kids, one or two kids doing something else. Gotcha. And and then there's locker room and I want to take a shower right. and I don't want to dry off and all that fun stuff. Right. So, but they, I mean, they're growing up. I didn't have to do, I didn't have to get them dressed afterwards. I didn't have to make sure they dried off afterwards.
1: <sighs> You're bringing me hope right now.
0: Well, th- that's why we do this podcast.
1: <laughs> no, that's awesome. Keep
0: hope alive. It helped that we were we had a party scheduled afterwards, so it was like oh, they had we want to get away fast. Yeah, yeah they so, had an incentive, so, to do so we it. could go over our friend's house. That's good, and that went really well. Like it was it was a party for parents, right? So everybody uh, from my church that had kids under the age of like ten, we all got together and we ate lunch and our kids. My friends have a great big open attic. Like finished attic, yeah. right? But they they ran around up there and in the backyard, and then we just hung out and ate hamburgers.
1: That's the best.
0: It's very good. That's we, why we have summertime.
1: True, totally. Well, last weekend we went to uh, uh we kind of crashed on my sister in law's a night of my sister in law's camping trip with her neighbors, and I didn't realize it until we got there, but they were there as part of this like. I don't know, like fifteen family contingent, like where they rented out all these cabins. There was like legitimately a pack of like thirty children roaming around, and it was awesome. Yeah, they formed their own society and governed
0: themselves, and you just yeah. That's why
1: your street is so awesome, as we discussed on an earlier podcast, because you have like the best street for kids and play.
0: Yesterday, as of our recording, there was a birthday party on our street, and it was fantastic because. In addition to all the other kids, a whole bunch of outside kids came in and everybody running up and down and riding bikes and tons of fun.
1: Love it. Love it.
0: uh, Riding bikes. That's what they did yesterday. That's a good transition to our guest today, right?
1: Yes. Um, so we are really excited to have Justin Booth on the podcast. He's going to talk to us about bike riding with kids from the early, you know, baby toddler years all the way through the teenage years. I think he's got some, some, I think he's got it figured out for teenagers, to be honest with you. He does. been thinking about it a lot since we hung out with him.
0: All right. Let's get to it. Okay. We are so happy to be joined by Justin Booth, founder and executive director of Go Bike Buffalo. Go Bike Buffalo is a nonprofit organization that works to create healthy, environmentally sustainable, and community-friendly transportation options in the city of Buffalo. Justin and his team do this by collaborating with local municipalities, designing bike and pedestrian-themed community events, and connecting citizens with the equipment and tools they need to bike more.
1: Last week, families across the country celebrated National Walk to School and Bike to School Days. So on the heels of that momentum, we thought it would be fun to talk to Justin about biking with kids. Uh, So let's start with your background, Justin. Um, I guess first, who's in your family? Uh,
2: So um, my wife and I have been biking with our three daughters, uh, Emily, Sarah, and Sophia, since they were all very little and have... Got them out there as young as four, riding in the city streets, going to parks and playgrounds, riding to school. Um, Sometimes they've enjoyed it, sometimes they haven't, but it's certainly a part of our daily life.
1: Tell us a little bit about Go Bike Buffalo, the organization that you work with.
2: So Go Bike Buffalo really focuses on making the city as bicycle, pedestrian friendly as we possibly can. Looking at cities across the country and around the world. Um, many communities are investing in these quality of life amenities to give people access, to give people mobility options, to build equity in their choice of transportation. And here in Buffalo, we certainly had um, a lot of opportunity to work with when we first started. Uh, but the city has really come on board and we've been investing in infrastructure. Uh, the mayor's made equipment of 10 miles of bike lanes a year. We've seen over 100 bike racks installed each year. We're seeing commitments from the state to Um, right-size our expressways and really move um, our mobility choices in line. We're working with uh, NFTA to give public transit um, access, uh, you know, make that better for people in the community, and then doing educational programs and encouragement programs and working with the university to evaluate the impacts we're having on the community and really trying to do a a comprehensive effort and all the things that makes uh, a city be more bicycle-friendly.
1: So I imagine that when you you've had your family for longer than you've had go bike buffalo <laughs> so <laughs> yes. what what kind of things you know inspired you to you know as you were biking with your family um decide that you needed to have like a, an advocacy organization or
2: so, so go bike started um actually my background is in public health um and now i do transportation planning uh, but I started because I played basketball in college and thought, man, I used to exercise four to six hours a day. Like, how is like my lifestyle is completely changed now? Now I'm just sitting behind a desk eight hours a day. And, um, and so I started riding my bike to work. At the time, I was working at City Hall and I was living um, in Kenmore right after graduating. And so I started, to, you know, I made a decision to start riding my bike every single day and would take Main Street downtown. Um, It was a 14-mile round-trip commute, Um, and I realized really quickly that I didn't know how to change a flat tire, I didn't know how to fix broken spokes, I didn't know how to adjust my cables, all these mechanical things with your bike, but then I was also dealing with the guy, people that didn't like me riding on the street and yelling at me to get on the sidewalk and trying to run me off the road and the potholes and all the other obstacles that you sometimes face as an urban cyclist, and so... I felt that if I was going to choose this mode that more needed to be done. Um, and of course, as time went on, you know we we began to make some some strides in, in getting the city on board, and of course, now it's you know part of my my lifestyle and my family's lifestyle.
0: So uh, you I'm off script already, but
2: you you mentioned the drivers
0: that don't like people on bikes, and I've had that experience too. I'm wondering if you have a favorite way to deal with them or a recommended way to deal with them.
2: Oh, you know, I've gone all routes to, you know, yelling and screaming and being belligerent to um, being super nice and trying to say, hey, did you realize you almost killed me and my family? Um, And oftentimes it's, you know, I would say the people that do that to you don't really care how you react to them. They are never in the wrong um, that being said, um, I would say that it's a very small percentage of drivers. Um, it's not everyone that, that does it. And, you know, I, I think overall most people are conscious of what's happening on the streets so with any situation. There's always a couple of bad seats.
0: So um, I'm a guy that likes to ride his bike, but spends probably more time feeling guilty about not riding his bike as much as he likes it. Um, and really like quite honestly this besides me just thinking like it's cold outside and i know just buy some warm clothes right <laughs> the 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 second big factor in me not biking more is anytime i have to go somewhere with kids biking is just that much harder um so what how how do you make a bike centered lifestyle and and having kids work
2: so I think one of the things that made it really for us is we've made some conscious decisions over the years to move closer to where we work, to where the kids go to school, to where we need to do our shopping. Um, so I mentioned before that I was living in Kenmore. We originally uh, moved into the Elmwood Village, you know, beautiful area of the city where there's lots of shops and. Uh, my wife at the time was going to Buffalo State still, and the kids were in school nearby. Um, and since then, had moved to downtown. And, you know, my commute uh, by bike it would probably be more beneficial to me from an exercise standpoint if I chose to walk as opposed to bike, because I'm only going a mile. I take the long way there so I can stop and get coffee in the morning. Um, but, you know, having, you know, those those destinations in close proximity you know, you can't expect someone that lives 15 miles away to ride. There's some people that do, of course. Um, but having everything within that one to three-mile radius, it makes it really, really easy. And, of course, then it's also, you know, it's never bad weather. It's bad attire. It's having the right gear. It's choosing the right bike for the right purpose. I mean, every one of my family has multiple bicycles. Um, whether it's uh, the commuting bike, whether it's the... Uh, The bike to go out with friends with and have a drink with, the bike to go food shopping with, uh, the one that has the rack on the back with the bags, or the cargo bike to carry everything from the kids and the groceries to a keg of beer. You know, you have all options and all opportunities. And sometimes people say, well, isn't that kind of expensive? And it's certainly way less expensive than owning and operating a vehicle. Uh,
0: So have you really carried a keg of beer on your bike?
2: I have. (laughs) I have down Chippewa Street after an event back to my house because it needed to be finished. I couldn't bring it back to the brewery half half uh, fill. It wasn't a full keg. (laughs) No. But the the great thing about the cargo bike is that it has the capacity of carrying up to 200 pounds. So I could have carried a full keg if I needed to. That's
0: awesome.
2: That is
1: awesome. So, you know, you mentioned that in the beginning that your kids have their... They've evolved and maybe devolved at times on on biking as a family. Talk to us about that. How has that changed throughout? You know, their different ages and phases of life.
2: So, I think the the I think the biggest thing um, that's been different is my two oldest daughters who are, are now approaching college. Um, I had them riding um with no training wheels at four years of age um and we would ride all to the park to the playground you know to all those kind of destinations that were nearby um and as a kid you know it's perfectly fine to have them riding on the sidewalks you know make sure that it's safe for them and then you know when we got to the park or we got to a more quieter street had them out there in a the street and kind of teaching them the rules of the road um when we started, when they started getting older, long distances. Um, my in-laws have a place in Canada, so we would cross the Peace Bridge and we would ride up uh, the Friendship Trail, and it's absolutely wonderful trail. You can go all the way to Port Colborne up the Welland Canal, uh, but it's a twelve-mile bike ride, and uh, so we would often ride behind them and say, "Come on." let's go, and they were just going to roll their eyes. But at the same time, uh, I think that now they credit that to, especially my daughter Emily, who's, you know, a great runner. Uh, She credits all the biking she did as a kid to her ability to now be such a good runner. Um, And so she appreciates that as much as she may have complained about it over the years. That being said, you know, there was a seven-year... Gap between my middle daughter Emily and my youngest Sophia, and so because they could already ride by themselves and would keep up with us to do grocery shopping, which is you know a good three miles away. Um, we had for Sophia a, um, a carrier that had her on the handlebars. This uh, so was you know in the front. It was a great instead of having in the back, so you could see what's going on. She would like to put her hands on. Uh, my handlebars and sometimes would swat my hands away because she wanted to steer, which, you know, was, <laughs> which wasn't always the best option. Um, but she really enjoyed it. And then as she started to get too big for that, we got one of those trailer bikes that mm-hmm. would connect to the back of my bike and kind of make an instant tandem. And she loved that because she could ride with me. We can, She would tell me to go fast. Um, and she absolutely enjoyed uh, going out there and, and doing those rides, uh, I think the only time that I, I wasn't comfortable with that was uh, coming home late one one evening from a friend's place for dinner, and uh, she was falling asleep on the back of it. So we had to stop oh, and like yeah. wake her up. Like you can't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so she uh, so she only did that once, but it was certainly um, an eye opener for us to make sure that we kept her kept her uh, alive and, and moving there. But I think that the detriment to that is is having that gap is because the older ones could ride and were strong riders um, and were riding since they were so young. It wasn't until she was eight years old that I actually got her riding by herself on two wheels and feeling comfortable about it. And so she's, you know, now doing it on a regular basis and absolutely loves it. Um, But I was feeling guilty as a director of a bicycle organization and as a parent that I had my other two going so young and then, you know, it, it took so long for to get her actually out there riding by herself
0: can you um can you talk you said your your youngest two were riding without training wheels before four right they
2: were yeah they were at four did
0: they do training wheels first
2: no i i so i had kids when i was young so i was able to run behind them and hold them up and uh never had an issue with that so they've none of them have ever used training wheels
0: okay and if you're young enough to run behind a bike is is that the best way to go
2: that's the way my father taught me that's the way i taught my kids um you know and i would certainly recommend having an attachment so you don't have to bend down so low to uh to hold the bike up but Mm -hmm. you know i i ran behind them you know held them up for a little bit let them get the momentum um learn how to start and stop themselves and uh you know, I think that is usually the best way to get them going, so they can feel the, their own momentum, carrying themselves in their own balance.
0: Are there are there any other? Tra- I've I've got I've got two kids biking now, and the third has training wheels right now. She wants to take them off, but sometimes that like we're gonna take them off really soon, and I just some of the kids freak out, and because it, it's doing everything at the same time, right? So I had one kid that was able to get the bike going and uh but then was so excited never looked where she was going and that was the scary thing just yeah biking straight into stuff
2: so that was a challenge um with emily when she was started riding we went out and sarah my my oldest was was doing great by her own we're riding down the sidewalk and there was a outdoor cafe on one of the buildings there and um, my wife was staying close to her. I was like, make sure you're close. Make sure you're close. And she picked up an, enough speed, and I couldn't get around, and she crashed right into the uh, wall of the outdoor cafe. Um, oh, no. And, you know, lots of tears, a little cry. She's now got this permanent dimple on her cheek, which actually looks cute. Um, but she, but she, but uh, it took a little while to get her back going again. So certainly make sure that, you know, encourage them to be independent, but also make sure you stay close.
1: So I imagine that there's some of our, you know, some of our listeners are, are hearing you talk about your life, you know, biking with your family, and they're thinking that's awesome, but I could never do that. Do you have some advice for, you know, I guess, easing into this, um, easing into biking more as a family? Any, any like, practical challenges, I guess, um, that people could do to, to get themselves more into it?
2: That's a good question, because I'm talking about my experiences, and clearly my mm-hmm. experience is what I know the best. I think you know there are there's lots of different groups that are out there there's um i think I think drew, you may be a part of it there's like a, a family bike rides that are been happening there's mm-hmm. a whole Facebook page on that you know an event group there's these critical mass rides, which really gets parents riding with their kids and so riding in larger groups. Um, of course makes it more comfortable for everybody, uh, makes the kids feel more comfortable riding with their peers and get them excited. Um, you know, in terms of getting the kids to to ride, of course, the big part is balance and, you know, there's been lots of good tricks out there. I think the best one that I've seen is taking the pedals off and having them just use it more like a scooter as a way to find their balance. Um, I think that is a really good way to kind of ease the kids into it. But take it slow, make sure they're comfortable, and make sure you have patience with your child because every child is going to you know, move forward with it uh, at their own pace and their own time.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. And I, I guess my thinking behind that is that some people could hear this and think it's all or nothing. Either I'm going to commute to work every day, my kid's going to commute to school, or I'm just going to be a car person. But what I hear you saying is that you can, you can maybe start with doing some community events or, you know, running some errands with a bike or maybe one day a week just commuting to school that way. Sorry, everybody. Cece is really wants to be part of this right now.
2: <laughs> no, that's, that's certainly right. I mean, it's not an all or nothing. I mean, I get asked a question all the time. Do you even own a car? Like yes, we, my family and I, we have one car. We need to use a car on occasion. I think you know. Ultimately, everyone needs to c- use a car on occasion. But you wear
0: a disguise when you drive it, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I stay really low in the I've back. I've never seat. seen you in a car. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's you know it's something that we, we you know the way our society is built you know public transit isn't always the best option and it's it's a it's a way that we need to get around. I would encourage everyone, especially in the nicer weather, especially May during Bike Month. You know, pick a day, whether it's on the weekend or during the week, choose to ride to work, choose to ride your bike to the park, Um, take your bikes and put them on your car and go to a great trail in your neighborhood. Or, you know, in Buffalo, there's the Outer Harbor, which, you know, some great trails out there and go experience, you know, those opportunities that are out there away from vehicles um, and get comfortable doing it on a regular basis. Um, and once you're comfortable, take it slowly and take steps and, and think, all right, maybe next time instead of driving the eight miles to the trail, maybe I'll bike the eight miles to the trail and do a couple more. Yeah. So
0: you're the expert, but I'll share one trick that has worked really well for me. Um, and it's it's kind of unique to me, but you can adapt it to your own circumstances. I have a very narrow driveway so that it is difficult but not impossible for me to move my car from the back of my house to the front of my house so usually i always park in the front when i'm driving all the time but if i make myself park the car in the back then taking the car out of the back takes longer and is more difficult than jumping on my bike (laughs) so so that's the advice is if you make it just that much more difficult to drive so that it's actually the easier lazier option to bike when i do that i bike much more
2: i think uh I've always kind of had it a little bit more challenging to drive. Being as tall as I am, I don't fit in cars very well, so it's never really comfortable for me to drive regardless. So being on a bicycle is just way more relaxing and enjoyable for me. So uh, another option is to grow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so uh, you are a, a
0: tall individual? Um.
2: Uh, six foot nine.
0: Okay. And but there's people of all kinds of different shapes and different abilities and things like that. Um, so are, do you have advice for people that are are not the standard bike users, regardless of how how they they adjust? or are, are there bikes for everybody?
2: There are bicycles available for everybody. Being on uh, the two tail ends of the bell curve, of course, those people that are, are tiny, those people that are that are large, it's certainly a little bit more challenging. Um, but I highly recommend if you're looking to get into biking on a regular basis uh, individually or with your family, go to your local bike shop. Don't go to a department store. They'll talk to you about the type of bike that you need for the type of biking that you want to do. They'll talk about the proper fit and size because there's nothing worse than getting on a bicycle that doesn't fit and you start getting aches and pains in places that you know you weren't expecting in your knees or in your hips or your ankles and that's not enjoyable. And so having uh, the correct fitting bike and the bike designed for the correct purpose and the riding that you wanna do is really gonna make the experience that much better. For those of us that are that are you know six six and taller, you know we have to get a custom bike. You know, for those that are that are tinier, you you certainly are also looking at the opportunity. You know, the, having to get a custom bike or ordering one and, and waiting a little bit of more time to do it. But there are definitely bicycles out there for everybody.
0: That's fantastic. Um, if if you saw like, I, I mean, I'm sure you see all kinds of like weird and maladaptive bike behavior, and you're a nice guy, so you just bite your tongue. But but now you've got a chance to, like, talk to, like, masses anonymously, right? So is is there just one thing that, that people do on bicycles that you just want to say, like, stop doing that for yourself or for other people? Um, give us that thing.
2: Yeah. So, you know, as cyclists, we're supposed to follow the rules of the road. And granted, sometimes our streets aren't designed to always do that. There's, for instance, there's sometimes there's intersections that if there's no car behind me, I'm never going to get the light because it's not going to trigger the light to give to me. So, yeah, I have to run the light and otherwise I'm going to be sitting there all day or waiting for a car to pull up behind me. But the one thing that I think drives me nuts is when cyclists are driving, riding on the wrong side of the street. And so for me, riding on the right side of the street, they're coming straight at me. And like, who is going to go out into traffic and, you know, potentially get hit or put their lives at risk? And I, I really would like to encourage everyone to ride on the right side of the street. Um, the you right...
0: Know. Correct side, the right and the right. Yes, exactly, the right and the right.
2: (laughs) But, you know, there's a reason for that, and that is it's that much safer. If you think about a – and we all do this as a driver. You pull up to a stop or a light. You look to the left to see if cars are coming to then take that right-hand turn. And if you're driving your bike on the wrong side of the street – um, that car isn't going to see you into the last second. And that's the place where most cyclists actually get hit by cars at intersections, cars taking a right-hand turn and not seeing you coming in the wrong direction. So, you know, making sure that you're seen, you're visible uh, as a cyclist, making sure you, you are following the rules of the road, um, incredibly important to stay safe.
0: Okay. Uh, we do have questions from from listeners, so it's, it's really important that we get to them. And thank you, Amanda and Lisa, for asking those questions. Um, so this one's from Amanda, uh, what do you do in toe behind, in toe behind if your toddler won't keep a helmet on? Uh, and you already talked about what you do if they're about to fall asleep. Um, (laughs) is it, is it required for the toe behind kid to, to be wearing a helmet?
2: It is required. And actually New York state law for all kids, 14 and under to wear a helmet as adult. We have choices, um, to keep the child to have the helmet on. Um, that you need to use your uh, excellent parenting skills and use of persuasion uh, to encourage them to leave that alone and distract them towards something else. Um, I can't say that I've ever experienced that with my kids. They certainly have always liked to loosen the strap because they don't like it too tight, and I'm always, you know, proper fitting helmet. Um, But, you know, simple awards like, hey, if you keep your helmet on, I'll take you for ice cream, (laughs) always seem to work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and one piece of advice on that, Maybe you've already tried this, um, Amanda, but take your kid to pick out their own helmet because there's lots of cool helmets with characters and drawings and whatnot on them. Kids' helmets are really fun compared to boring adult helmets, so maybe take them out. Viv got a unicorn helmet, which... It's right over there in the corner. That it's is that is very insane fancy. looking, but she loves it and wants to wear it all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Even when you're walking, it's could be great protection. Yeah, my my daughters love putting stickers all over their helmets. There you go. So you know, every time they get a sticker, whether it's the grocery store, you name it, they are their helmets are covered in stickers.
1: That's very cool. So our other question is from Lisa and she wants to know how old kids have to be before they can ride on a bike with their parents or be in some kind of attachment. She's heard different things.
2: You know, I've heard different things too. And I'm not actually sure if there's a law on that. I think most of the child seats will have a recommended age, um, but many kids have uh, different developmental, you know, uh, tracks. And, you know what I've always found as long as they can hold themselves up and keep their head up um they're going to be just as safe in the bike seat as they are going to be in the car seat right. um and so I think that is really the 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 turning point in terms of being able to take the the child out is is for them to be able to have the strength to hold themselves upright
1: yeah that's what that's what I've heard too is if they can sit up, but then i I would say the other challenge is finding a helmet they can fit so that was one of the that took us some time with viv um she didn't have a particularly small head, but she was just really little. And yeah. yeah, so it took some time for us to find one that fit. And that was kind of an indication to us, like, okay, until, until we can find one, until well, she's big enough, then she mm-hmm. should just not do this right now. Justin, I wanted to ask you, you know, people are listening to this and they want to start advocating for better bicycle amenities for, uh, yeah, better bicycle amenities in their own communities. Do you have some advice on how they can, how they can start that process?
2: Yeah. And any community, I would imagine most communities now, especially in cities across the country, um, there are bicycle advocacy organizations, our peer organizations popping up across the country. Um, and there's, I would say, reach out to them, you know, whether you're in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Buffalo and Rochester, uh, Syracuse, there are, there are groups that are out there that are working on this. Sometimes they are, more organized uh, and official 501c3 nonprofit organizations. Sometimes it's just a group of of concerned citizens sitting around the table and saying, hey, we need to go to this next council meeting to make sure that they pass a complete streets policy. Um, And so I would say first reach out and find out what is going on in your community and see what is the best way to get engaged. Um, we've had many people reach out to us you know, m- much of our work is done with the support and help of people either becoming a member and donating resources um or organizing an event um putting something together uh developing posters for us i mean so many people have so many different skills and um if you're passionate about making our streets safer, there's certainly opportunities to get involved
1: um and then I guess, do you have some top um, product recommendations for people that, you know, so they can make biking easier um, in their lives, things that you would recommend?
2: Uh, I mentioned before that I would not encourage people to go to an apartment store to get a bicycle right. or to get products because, you know, you're not going to get the customer service. You're not going to, unless you know what you need, um, you know, it's, it's best to go to a place that would, you know, can give you advice um there's lots of different products that are out there everything from the bicycles having the right type of gearing um especially if you're getting into bison the first time making sure the gearing is comfortable for you so it's not too hard to pedal um making sure that you have the right types of brakes you know are traditionally many people maybe had a coaster brake you know when you pedal backwards the Mm -hmm. back wheel stops and you skid um uh or having a free wheel in the back where you can pedal backwards freely you know making sure that you're comfortable with the type of braking system that you have and you know each braking system works a little bit differently um i think those are some of the basic things but then there's always like there's the the litany of accessories and gear that you can get well and especially
1: with kids i feel like there's the seats that go on the handlebars the seats that go on the back the toe behind thing any thoughts on those
2: yeah, so I used the seat on the back with my girls, uh, my two older girls, and it worked; it was fine. But if you had a bag on your back or they fell asleep, they're like resting on your butt. Um, they <laughs> cool. couldn't, they couldn't, you know, see unless they looked to like the left or to the right. Um, with my youngest, we had a, I, I believe it's an iBert. It's a seat that attaches to your front stem, and it can come slide on and off with a, a pin that attaches to it. Um, and you can keep the piece right on there so it doesn't need to be on all the time, which is also kind of nice. Um, and like I said, she she really, really enjoyed it because she got to see everything and where we're going and what was happening and would point at all types of stuff. And I think I, I really liked that, and she really liked that. So I would highly recommend having that that seat in the front. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, good I stuff. Don't know.
2: There's, there's lots of different things out there for, for everyone, so... Um, having having a bell is also very important, and you can get bells that look all different shapes and sizes. And when you have your kid on front, they will ring that bell nonstop. So <laughs> you know this way everyone knows you're coming.
0: Yeah, and you don't have to shout in your kid's ear if the kid is in front of you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so uh, you raised your kids on bikes, and was there? It's you kind of alluded to it. So I sound it sounds like there was a time when one of your daughters said, how come we're not like the other families? How come we have to bicycle all the time? (laughs) Yeah. Can't I just be like the other kids? Right. So did that happen? How did you navigate that? Was it all ice cream and bribes or (laughs) suck it up? This is what we do.
2: A little bit of all the above, (laughs) depending on the situation. Um, You know, I, I, it's certainly been part of our lifestyle and they've certainly sometimes really enjoyed it. Um, and sometimes they've certainly rebelled against it. Um, I, I don't know in, in my life and what I've seen, I think kids do have, you know, go one or two paths. They either choose to emulate the parents or they choose to do the complete opposite. So I'm certainly hoping that my kids choose to continue with this lifestyle and all we can do is kind of instill those life skills and encourage them to choose these things. But you know, I think, uh, at least with my two older daughters, they they don't complain about it anymore, um, you know, and they've kind of embraced it and, you know, ride on a regular basis. I think uh, my one daughter, when she has to go to track practice up at, like, you know, 7 in the morning, and she asks why we can't give her a drive up there. Yeah. And, um, I say, because I'm sleeping in in the morning for once. <laughs> 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 you know, we get the pout, but, you know, it's... Well, and,
0: it, like... I, I mean, sometimes at the end of the practice, you can hardly walk, right? And so you get done with practice, and then you have to bike home after that?
2: It's a great cool-down to get that lactic acid out of your legs. <laughs> got it.
1: Got it. No, I love that, though. That I mean, I hear so many parents of older kids complain about the sports schedules and having to drive their kids everywhere. And I love that your solution is, like, get on that bike. But it also it also kind of, like, brings to mind for me this debate about – which is a whole other podcast topic, but this like free range parenting and letting your kids do that. And I, and I just, I love how this is, I love the independence that you, you are kind of instilling in your children to, to be able to get themselves places. And that must instill some confidence in them too.
2: Yeah. I, I certainly think it has. Um when, So when Emily was turned, when they both got into eighth grade, it was kind of, you know, and they had sports and all over the place. And my wife and I are working and there's a little one to take care of and there's dinner. Like there isn't the opportunity to be all over the place um, unless you choose to spend your entire evening, you know, taking the kids to all their practices and everything else. And that just seems a little chaotic to me. Um, So the alternative was we got them both cell phones and we gave them bicycles and a helmet and I taught them how to use Google Maps and, you know, choosing which route is going to be the best way to go because the main routes, the main arterials aren't always the best street. But, you know, living in a city, you have lots of neighborhood residential streets, side streets that can get you to the same place without having to deal with a lot of cars. Yeah. Um, and so it was just kind of like giving them the opportunity to go. And they started taking advantage of it and saying – hey, Dad, we're going to go to Elmwood to go shopping and go get a movie for tonight. We'll see you later. like, all right, you know, make sure you have your phones on. And, you know, they would come back and admit, like, we were over, like, Vermont somewhere, uh, Vermont Street and whatever intersection, and, you know, maybe a mile away from their actual destination. But, you know, they figured out how to use the map and realized where they were and said, oh, okay, you know, and got themselves there. So I think it's a good way to teach them about their surroundings to give them the independence that they need that they want. Um, I certainly had that and I think it's important that we give all kids that opportunity.
0: Um, and then that that independence grows when you combine biking and public transportation. And this is where like, I'll just give my own confession. Like I've seen the racks on the front of the buses and I've never, ever attempted to use one. Um, and I, I just anticipate like, as I tried to do that, like, I'd fumble enough at the fare, and then I'd, like, look at the rack, and I just imagine an angry bus driver yelling at me, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so tell, tell me I'm wrong, that my fears are unjustified, or, or tell me how to do it so that I won't have that experience.
2: Your, your fears are completely unjustified. Okay, good. You, you should give it a try. Uh, most bus drivers are usually would are more than willing to get out of the bus and actually show you how to use the rack. But the racks are super easy to use. You simply pull it down. There's a latch that kind of pulls up after you put your bike in and then clamps over your wheel and holds your bike in place. It takes literally... 15 seconds to actually put your bike on there. I think the hardest part is having exact change to get on the bus and make, you know, fumbling through your pockets which probably takes longer. Right. Um, but you know, when we talk about biking, you're thinking about, you know, for most people, three to five miles is probably the max radius that you really want to travel by bicycle. Um, you know, but that certainly expands when you add public transit to it. And so combining those two trips together, um, is is really what we need what many people need to do and i think what our transit systems need to facilitate more there's plenty of cities that i've gone to where you know in the trains uh not besides just the buses there's spots where you can hang your bikes as opposed to holding onto to it you know i think uh here in buffalo the nfga does allow you to bring your bikes on the light rail Um, and you can there are bike racks on all the buses uh, but having that specific space to kind of like hang it up and strap it down so it's not like in your lap or in the way of other passengers I think are those little little pieces that really facilitate what what we know in transportation is you know providing people with the access and convenience to choose a different mode is really what it comes down to and if if we are in in any of our cities are looking to you know how do we revitalize our, our communities how do we know build the quality of life that we want we can't have free parking for everybody if we look at the city of buffalo 52 percent of the downtown land use is used for parking cars that was a lot of buildings that were torn down um, for cars for cars to park and you know if we think about what other ways we can get around what the opportunities would be to redevelop our cities revitalize our cities and build that you know that vibrancy that we once had well
0: and it seems like Every other day I see an article that says like the more walkable, the more bikeable a city is, the happier its residents are, the wealthier the city is right do, do you have any like quick stats or plugs or is it is it just like that that's baseline true like
2: I've seen it I've seen it every single place. I mean, we know that uh, in New York City, when they put in protected bike lanes, that sales tax revenue went up eleven percent um, higher than other locations that didn't have. Uh, those protected bike lanes in place. We know that people that ride their bikes, while they might not spend as much money in a single trip because it's difficult to carry, like, say, more groceries. They often tend to take more trips in one week and spend more money in an entire week than a person that's, like, loading up their car. Um, You know... We've also seen, um, you know, we know that the cost of owning and operating a vehicle from the AAA is almost is $9,000 a year. Wow. Um, and so that's like a lot of, that's a lot of hidden costs in terms of maintenance and insurance and your car you payments. You can buy a or... couple
0: bikes a year and still
2: save money. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and in Portland, they were able to demonstrate that people, because they've they've invested so much in their public transit system and in, in a bicycling network that's really safe, um, they drive four miles less on average than people living in other metro areas. And they've been able to demonstrate $2.6 billion annually going back into the local economy. Um, and I think part of the result of that is that they have the most microbreweries per capita than any other city in the country.
0: Nice. <laughs> Uh, maybe microbreweries is a good place for us to end on. We are uh, so grateful for you coming in, talking about bicycling. We're we're grateful, I mean, Whitney and I are residents here in Buffalo. So we've seen over the years, uh, more and more bike lanes and more and more people educated about like bicycling and how to do it well. And so uh, we're thankful, not just for you being on the podcast, but for all the work that you've done uh, in your time as a bicycling advocate uh, here in our city.
1: Yep, what Drew said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks so much, Justin, for being our guest and for sharing all that uh, wonderful uh, information and perspective. And uh, you have inspired us to get back on our bikes and get out there. Absolutely. And now it's time for our person, place, or thing.
1: Yes. Okay. I'm going to go first this time. Take it. <laughs> uh, my thing is the website creativebug.com. Um, they also have an app. But essentially, Creative Bug is video um, video classes on a variety of different um, art forms. And I pers- I use it myself. My kids are a little bit young to follow it. But I was thinking that it would be an awesome thing to do with my nephew or if you have older kids, especially with like a school break or summer coming up, um, they have all sorts of intro classes and then they even have some specifically for kids um and they have an app so you can watch them on your phone and if you are a breastfeeding mother like me you can watch videos and think about all the crafts you want to do while you're nursing (laughs) once you've read the entire internet because i've definitely done that already hi cece
0: well if you've read the entire internet then you know my person okay my person is pittsburgh dad um I'm, you're nodding, but you haven't seen Pittsburgh Dad, have you? No, I haven't, okay, but so, I'm nodding
1: like, oh, cool, so,
0: tell me. Uh, and
1: that you have a person, because I feel like we rarely we have We don't have
0: a lot of people. <laughs> if Pittsburgh Dad is a character created by a comedian from Pittsburgh. Um, but there's a very particular culture that comes out of my hometown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And fatherhood is expressed in particular ways. And those are hilarious ways in short films by that come from Pittsburgh Dad. And uh, this is your bonus extra thing. Um, Do you remember the, I don't even know if it got to Western New York, the department store Hills?
1: Oh, it's been a lot of time. There was a Hills like around the block from my house. Okay. Loved Hills.
0: Okay. Do you remember the smell of the snack bar? Yeah, Yeah.
1: they did. Okay, am I mixing this up with Kmart? They had Do they have a little Caesars? No, that was Kmart. That was but Kmart. Th- we definitely had a Hills. I don't okay. I don't think I remember it. I just remember like those machines where Hills you could put a quarter. Is
0: where the toys are. Oh my
1: god, Drew. Yeah. Flashback.
0: It was it was a big part of my life. Um I, <laughs> So anyway, Pittsburgh Dad remembers Hills well. Um and he teamed up with a local candle company to make a Hills snack bar scented candle. So Oh my god! That's, that's how hilarious Pittsburgh Dad is—that he awesome. came up with it. And I feel like it started out as a joke, and then someone's like, "No, we can totally make that." Do you have one? No.
1: That's Not you should yet. ask for that for Father's Day. That's a Father's Day gift I <laughs> it ever smells heard. Smells like
0: popcorn and hot dogs in here. Yeah, yeah. like Hills.
1: <laughs> I should get that for my dad because he was like, he took us to Hills all. I feel like Hills was for to my dad what Target is supposedly for stay at home moms now is like he was just like I don't know what to do with you. I'm gonna let's walk around Hills.
0: Okay. So cool. Watch Pittsburgh Dad. Okay. If you enjoy Pittsburgh Dad, get a Hills snack bar scented yes. candle. Um that's what we've got for today. So please don't be a stranger. Be in touch with us. We love your reviews. We love your notes and your letters and your adoring phone calls. <laughs> um you can find just a phase on Facebook at Just a Face Podcast, on Instagram, same name, and at our website, just And
1: again, please feel free to leave us reviews and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Be like Guile Flag Force and uh, yeah, throw up some fantastic. stars. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: just a Face Podcast is produced by Whitney Crispell, and our theme music is Urbana Metronica Woo Yeah Mix. By spinning Merkaba, it is used under a Creative Commons license.
1: Okay, have a good week, Drew.
0: Bye. Bye.